0: Welcome back to Songs in the Key of Life, where each episode we spend time with a different person, any person from anywhere, to find out what are their top five songs of all time and why have they chosen Today's guest is a former journalist, editor, DJ, and now policy director,
1: Khalil. Thanks for having me, Al. (laughs) Greatly appreciate it.
0: The obligatory first-up question, because apart from anything, I know the list has changed a few times. How hard was only five and how many f- just failed to make the cut?
1: Oh, it's ridiculous. It's so hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, I think, because you, you, you sort of – what I was doing was messing around with – you know, I was putting my policy analyst brain at work yeah. and just, like, coming up with different sets of criteria – so I was like, oh, okay, well, because first initially it was too broad. So you go, ah, oh, it's way too broad. So I've got to narrow it to stuff that was released in my lifetime and that didn't really work out either. And then, um, you know, there were, there were other things as well. So you, you, I, I was sort of thinking, okay, well, should I have one of each, you know, a particular genre or should I have something that's representative of something else? And then, so that meant that heaps of things didn't make it. So, like, you know, even the other day, I was it's nearly Christmas, so I was watching Sound of Music and I was, you know, my favourite things came on. Great song. Yeah. Amazing song. Like, and, and so, and by that stage I'd already sent the list to you. So I was like, I think it's one of those things when I listen to other people try and assemble top fives of, Whatever, whether it's films, books, any, any piece of culture, I think you just have to have the caveat which is, all right, that's what it is this month. Yeah. And,
0: and you, you would, either way, you perhaps were happy to stand by that for, the, for a long term. You wouldn't be, you know, going, oh, that was a shocking decision.
1: Yeah. You know, and then you sort of have to say, okay, well, they'd be my top five favourite Rap songs or my top five sub-genres. favorite subgenres. Prince songs it, yeah. or you know, it, it pivots. Just, yeah, so there's there, I don't think there's ever a final list, which is which is kind of great. And I think once you accept that and let go, you just you're good.
0: Yeah, nice one. All right, far away. First track, band song.
1: The number song, DJ Shadow, uh, early '90s. Uh, quite an amazing piece of music. In that, it's a real. Um, uh, what makes me love it so much is that it is you know Shadow was always like a or is, but particularly in the early nineties,
0: which is peak Shadow.
1: Yeah, and his and his debut and you know, the introducing album, which was such a game changer. Uh, in terms of him putting out an album of purely instrumental hip-hop tracks that actually worked as an album. Yeah. And also, you know, most sort of DJs were at that time just putting out tracks that were just tracks, They were basically like... Uh, you know, backing tracks.
0: You could you could mix in or have something over the top of, yeah. or whatever. Yeah.
1: But then he did something completely different, which was these are like standalone. They don't need a rapper on top. They don't as in they don't need an MC on top. And then particularly the number song, which has this sort of incredible uh, Metallica. The song was "Orion," just uh, this riff just running the whole way through it. But the way the way he did it was like he just he he structured it in a way so it actually has verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, and then back to the chorus. Mm. And I don't think any I don't I don't remember anyone else really doing a cut up sample record with that kind of format. Yeah Uh, Or or putting that much structure into it And for me what it really represented was just sort of a a moment in life When you know like you're as a kid or you know a music enthusiast There's a sound in your head An earworm Yeah or no not not necessarily an earworm in in the sense of a song but like there's a sound in your head that you know you want to hear mm. before you've even heard it. Oh, yeah. And then that song for me was like, oh, shit, that's what i want to hear. That's That is exactly what I want to hear at exactly this right point in time. And for me, not just that, but I want to do that. And that really sort of um, set me off in a direction that led me to... You know, finding people in Melbourne that had, you know, the same or similar taste to me. Yeah. Um, who, you know, weren't necessarily just listening to an album like Introducing at Home, but also like just being out there in clubs playing that kind of music. Because prior to, really prior to hearing that, I was just sort of into rave and techno and whatever. But at that point, it was like, okay. I can be part of that. I just need to find the people. And so then, you know, that led me to a Melbourne club like Purveyors, where I, and I remember the first night that I went there and I was just like, right, one day I want to play records here. Yeah. And, and you know, I made a demo, gave it to my friend Phil, he, and then we became friends after that. And we still are, which is really nice too.
0: So this is a really seminal track for you creatively as well as culturally.
1: Yeah, and it's... an album. Yeah, exactly. And it... I mean, that song is probably the most... Rep- like, it's not necessarily the only one, but it's sort of the most representative of that particular sound.
0: Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways. I reckon what's, what's really cool about this track is that the drums are fully heroed, right? They are the guitar of, of yeah. this track. yeah. And... Um, percussion all round, Um, but also, and I don't know if they are or not, but they sound analogue. Yeah. I assume they are. Yeah. Which also gives them a kind of, to your point about verse chorus, verse chorus, it it feels rock and roll in in that sense because it's not all digital. Yeah. But it's hip-hop. It's it's got a lot of interesting stuff going
1: on. Yeah, and it's all samples and he just did it on, you know, uh, his sampler on... um, uh, with turntables he didn't have what kids have now which is like pitch shifting so he had to make everything in tune on his own right. without the aid of that digital stuff
0: almost like a, a collage he had to do an old-fashioned collage to make the pieces work exactly in his head exactly
1: and there was this prior to that there was this whole sort of you know he was building off this legacy of, of um you know dj tracks like just cut up dj tracks that that, you know, he did one as well, which was called Lesson 4, which he based on this other um, series of records by Double D and Steinske. And um, (coughs) he, um, yeah, just took it to the next level.
0: Awesome. All right, that's a great start. Um, We're going to continue a little bit of this groove, if you like, but move away. Tell us about the next track.
1: Okay, Loose Joints, Is It All Over My Face, which is really just... A,
0: a it's hard to know which is the song and which is the band of this one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Loose Joints were... Um, it was principally this guy, uh, Arthur Russell, who hung out in New York in the in, throughout the, the late 70s and all through the 80s, and actually into the 90s. He passed away in the mid-90s, but um, he... Was an incredible and really unique musician. He's a cello player. He would hang around with people like um, uh, uh, Alan Ginsberg. Yeah, or... Ginsberg, Phil Glass. Yeah, Talking you know, Heads. Yeah, he was incredible, um, and so he 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 makes some quite extraordinary avant-garde music. But he had this phase in his life where he was really You know, making disco records either under the names like Loose Joints or um, Dinosaur L, and um, this track in particular, there's a for me there's just a lot of memories um, associated with this one. One of the problems with being a DJ and playing records in clubs for money, um, as well as fun, is that. You can end up just having this sort of quite utilitarian uh, view of music, right? So you, you, so it's like, okay, well, you know, what's the use of this?
0: Yeah, what's what's going to work for me?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that was one of the criteria in terms of uh, maybe an unconscious criteria was was picking out the ones that really stood out well beyond that.
0: Yeah, okay, so good.
1: Yeah, and so this song is really just about having fun on a dance floor because it is just so sexual. It's insane. Yeah. Like, it's just really, really yeah.
0: fun. It's very funky.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and just the line, um, is it all over my face, is just, you know, absolutely gold. Um, there are two versions. I picked the female uh, vocal version because, you know, the male the male, male vocal version is just really weird. Yeah. Um, but for me, again, this, this represents um, a particular sort of vibe when I was either working in clubs or, or just hanging out with, uh, you know, I had this, this group of guys I used to play records with on, on Sundays and we called ourselves the sexual homies. Um, so, you know, uh, shout out to them. Nice. Um,
0: this is the 90s still? No, this. this early aughts? Was,
1: yeah, early aughts. So, and just some really funny times um, just hanging out at, at you know, clubs on a, on a Sunday evening. There could be absolutely no one around, but it was just really fun and really funny. And also, just this record also sort of crystallized a lot of. Things that I had figured out just listening to, to house music, and um, you know, just this sort of it's got this really kind of slack, slack beat to it. Mm. So it's it's got that sort of loose, lazy sexual attitude to it, um, which laconic. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of laconic but erect at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's written all over my face. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not gonna I'm
0: not gonna hurry for it. <laughs> it's just coming.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, just sort of good people that I just associate with this sort of um uh, 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 crossover between you know house, disco, um uh, boogie but also sort of crossing over into a sort of a, a, a sort of hip-hop vibe as well to some extent. I think just probably because of the, the drum break.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. No, absolutely. Is there an order to these? I mean, you, we've got an order, we're going through an order, but yeah. did you have a conscious curatorial, like this follows this, follows this?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I put it together like a mixtape in yeah. my head. Yeah, 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 it has to be a mixtape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Uh, very good. All right. Um, excellent. Next one, um, track three. Uh, now this is interesting because personally, I, whilst I know the name of this artist, I didn't really know much about his tracks and his history. So tell us this one.
1: Uh, Bosque's lowdown. Uh, so <laughs> this is the this is the first track from the Silk Degrees album, which was absolutely massive. I never grew up listening to this record. I came to this record uh, much later in life. There's a a couple of songs on that album which are just absolute bangers, which you just know, like Lido Shuffle or or whatever. But but Lowdown, as the opener wasn't, didn't get as much attention uh, in Australia. It did in the United States. Um, And there's a couple of reasons that... uh, Two big reasons that I I love this uh, record. So just... The way it's put together, particularly the drum break at the beginning where you've got um, Jeff Baccaro on drums, and he is phenomenal. If you've never looked at his discography, it's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, right. Like, he did the drums on Beat It. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> and that kind yeah. of just, like... That's a good pedigree. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he did the drums on uh, a couple of tracks on The Wall by Pink Floyd. As right, well. so he's, okay. But, you know, principally he was with Toto, yeah um, so so you know we're heading right into into yacht rock territory, yeah, but just the way the song sort of you know builds with that breezy kind of um the drum break, then the flute, and then it sort of builds into the the guitar, and then you sort of kind of go up and down. There's, there's, there's a there. bit of Motown
0: in here as well. Says, yeah. Isn't there? I mean, like yeah. there's quite a bit of genre blending through all of
1: this. Yeah. So you got that that, that kind of white boy soul thing. And yeah. I can't remember <laughs> the name of the songwriter um, that he co-wrote it with. But he did, you know, tracks with... He was just one of those American hit machines. So he did right. tracks with Cheryl Lynn and all sorts of people. But... Um, one of the great things about this song, and, and this, uh, another shout out to my friend uh, Richard, because we used to work in a record store together, yeah. and I was telling him about this song, and um, I said to him, uh, just go around the corner to Dixon's, and I can guarantee you, you can get a copy for a dollar of this record. Because it was so big. Yeah, right. You know, it, it was it, so it,
0: absolutely... It had to be saturated everywhere. Right? Yeah. yeah.
1: So you could, you could, like, you know, if... And it was one of these things as well, and I think I, I'm not sure if I did It'd be
0: 50 bucks now.
1: No, 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 it's still cheap. Really? Yeah, no one cares.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, after this, after this podcast, yeah. they will. Yeah,
1: Because yeah. um, I think it was one of those things where, like, you know, I'd be doing early shift at Revolver or something. Yeah. And, and I'd, I'd think, ah, shit. I forgot to bring silk degrees. I really wanted to play lowdown tonight. So you just walk down to Dick's <laughs> and just buy another one for a dollar. You've probably got seven copies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah, it was just—it's—it's just, uh, it's, it's just a, a, a great. I think you know, kind of overlooked record in some ways. But that said, that drum break gets sampled everywhere still. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, um, and. There's also, there's something about his voice which reminds me of the Bee Gees a bit in this too because he does get a bit falsetto-y but it's yeah. also, as you say, a sort of white guy, kind of disco, yeah, funky, whatever.
1: Yeah, and then there's this great story about, um, which I forgot about, which was that when they were filming Saturday Night Fever, I think the rehearsal scenes, uh, Travolta was actually dancing to Wired Down by Buzz Gags, and a Stevie Wonder song. So there you go. I also heard another story. I don't know how true this is, um, because there's a new documentary out about Robert Stigwood. Oh,
0: yeah, the the producer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he was saying was that when they did the walking scene in the opening credits for Saturday Night Fever... Yes. You know, obviously they didn't have the Bee Gees track yet. The Stay
0: Alive one. No, no, the opening scene's not Uh, that, is it? It's... um...
1: No, it's staying alive. Is it? Yeah, pretty sure it's staying alive. Okay. Um, that he was actually walking to Low Down by Buzz Skaggs. Great. Yeah. So it's just it's got something to it. Yeah. That that, you know, it's just there. It's but, just up and about. Yeah. Apparently he turned Stigwood asked him to for the songs for the soundtrack and he said no. Yeah, it was probably a mistake. That was a mistake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that,
0: big that, mistake. That made the BGs as famous as they are. Yeah, like, I mean, killer tracks for them as yeah. well. But fuck, okay.
1: But you know, after that, you just you, you're living pretty forever yeah. on
0: royalties. You yeah. need to do nothing else. No, that's right. Yes, it's like the, the you know the movies that the actors say no to, and then yeah. you know, rookie era. Yeah, rookie era. All right, terrific. We're going to take a a bit of a a turn here and and switch genres and moods somewhat for the fourth track. Um, Tell us about this one.
1: So Wilco, Jesus Etc., which is, you know, there's there's probably two songs in the world um, that can almost make me cry every time I listen to them. And this is one of them. I just find it so incredibly emotionally moving. Yeah, right. Um, You know, not all the time, but every, every now and again, if I can just, I'll put this on and I'll get a bit misty.
0: And what is it about it?
1: I don't know. I heard someone describe it as a perfect song once. I can't remember who. So this one, when this came out, Uh, It was 2002, I was working at uh, a music magazine and my colleague Marty Jones, um, he said, all right, listen to this band, Uh, Uncle Tappalo, which was um, the the predecessor to Wilco." Yes. That was 2002. That was a really weird time. It's hard to think about that time, it's 20 years ago now, that's one of the reasons it's hard to think about but also because <laughs> <laughs> but also because that was post September 11th yeah and like right. if you think about the year or two after September 11th i don't know for me it's a bit of a blank like there's a lot that i don't remember maybe i was just getting too plastered i don't know yeah but whenever i listen to this record and i know people have talked about it a lot there's the, and particularly this song, there's just a couple of lines in there and, you know, this song was written prior to 9-11. Right. Which was skyscrapers scraping together and, um, you know, and there's another song on the album called Ashes of American Flags and it's just like this very, very Raw sort of... kind of... Yeah, and uh, prescient but also um, because it was all written pre 11 it was just kind of eerie. Yeah. But, yeah, the way he constructs the song is, Jeff Tweedy, the way he constructs the song in terms of just, it's, it's actually a really simple melody and then he just uses different instrumentation and just sort of build on it and he puts in the strings and it's just, you know, I just find it incredibly moving. But for me also, this song along with... Um, well, this album along with Beck's Sea Change album really started to get me out of a, a, a musical rut in terms of what I was listening to because, right. you know, I was just pretty much like listening to club music and, yeah. and, and DJ music and I didn't really have the sort of the, 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 the broader listening that I needed to and I wasn't, certainly wasn't doing that listening and this album really sort of just pushed me in that direction.
0: And is it because and you did you find uh, both vocals and story through this? I mean, this is an indie you know love song, pop song, you know, um, but was it that? Was it the storytelling inside of it?
1: Uh, There was a bit of that. I mean, I think it was probably more the sound than anything else for me. But and 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 the way he um, and the way songs are really constructed. Because I mean, I think that's one of the things about just clubs. And and club music at that point in time was just, it was just really all about getting the groove or getting getting a hook and that was it. Whereas and you know the idea of a, of a you know a much more defined song structure for you know was kind of novel to yeah. me, which is just insane. Yeah. Um, the storytelling aspects of it, I mean, not so much because one, I think one of the great things that Is part of this song and part of a lot of good songs is that it does seem really vague. There's nothing, there's nothing too specific about it, which is great because it means that you can just project anything you want onto it. Yeah,
0: Um, yeah, Yeah. it's it's interesting actually because I've I've heard uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talk about why he likes country music so much, and he likes it because of the specificity, and he likes it and he thinks it's more emotive because of that. And he sort of he does a comparison between you know a famous country song versus uh, a stone song, which is you know all metaphor and and I, I absolutely disagree as well with him because it's like no no, no it's too literal it's yeah. too obvious, yeah. and therefore I either i'm completely familiar with what you're talking about or you've you've lost me
1: yeah, because you want because you need to to you need it to be vague enough for for you to be able to listen to the song and just go, oh, my God, she's talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> she must love me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's obviously resonated because I, I noticed a couple of um, uh, covers of this song, Nora Jones and a few other artists. So, oh, she covered that. Yeah. So there's obviously a few, you know, others have gone. Because you, you don't cover a song that's too literal. You've got, she's got to bring what she can bring to it. So that probably demonstrates that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know she covered that. I might have a listen to it. I always used to like her voice. I haven't listened to her in a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, nice one. All right, last track. This is a great one, so far away.
1: Yeah, uh, Blue and Green. Uh, Miles Davis from The Kind of Blue Album. There's not, in some ways I feel like there's not a lot you can say Uh, about what's in this song. I mean, it's instrumental for one. um, And following on from what we were just talking about, you know, you, you obviously place so much of yourself into it when you get immersed into this track. And I was actually really late to this one, I think because, you know, when I was younger, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't like a Miles Davis guy. I was a John Coltrane guy. Right. And you know because At least you had a guy. Yeah, and and because you know you can be young and stupid and you can go, oh yeah, but listen, listen to the notes, man. Listen to how many notes he's playing. It's yeah, insane, yeah. isn't that amazing? Well, he is
0: playing yeah. on this track too. Yeah, to he's playing on this
1: track, and and you know he he, <laughs> and he's the flashiest one of all. Yeah. Um, you know which which isn't surprising in a lot of ways, but um. So then, and the other thing with the Kinda Blue album was um, for a while uh, in the 90s, I don't know about the 80s, but certainly in the 90s, it was just one of those CDs that everyone had, and not just everyone had, every fucking cafe, bookstore, whatever. Had this CD, and I remember like working at restaurants and kind of blew it. I'm just like, oh, Jesus, I cannot listen to this album again, or I cannot, you know, hear So What again in my entire life. So then, so I put it away for a while, um, came back to it maybe 15 years later, yeah. um, and just. Got right, right into it and also around that time I was getting right into Bill Evans as a piano player as well. Yeah. And obviously he's, he's the, 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 the pianist on the entire album but for me it's his keys more than anything else on this track which make it one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written and I actually think that the last the last sort of 45 seconds I think it is, um, I can't remember the exact timing and I can't, I don't know what you'd call it, um, if you call it a coder or, or whatever, but just that, that last 45 seconds when it's just Bill Evans on piano and I can't remember who plays bass on it, but just those two without any of the brass.
0: Paul Chambers is the first. Paul Chambers. Okay, there you go.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning. This is the other piece of music that really can make me teary every yeah. now and again. It is just absolutely phenomenal. It's uh, and and worth a listen in some really, really good headphones uh, when you're by yourself at night at pretty much any time.
0: Yeah, agreed. I think... Um, I think the bass on this is also amazing like it's very um it's quite subtle and he and then and then the percussion as well just the brushing on the snare drum it's really kind of again subtle and background but it just makes so much um gives it so much depth to the track um interesting to talk about bill evans because there's you know contention over who wrote this yeah Bill Evans said he wrote it. Others say Bill's right. Miles Davis goes, fuck you, I wrote it. I wrote everything on the album and fuck you. Yeah. And but he was he, a cantankerous prick, so maybe. And then
1: he gave, um, I think he sent Bill Evans a check for $25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't really... Um, who cares? Yeah, who cares? But I, I, the, the Miles Davis thing, I used, to, I used to know this woman that I worked with at a restaurant where um, Kind of Blue was playing on Rotation. Um, I haven't spoken to her in a while, but she told me she actually met uh, Miles Davis one time. Right. And wow. Yeah, and I was like, what, well, where in the States or whatever? And she said, no, in Australia. I was <laughs> like, really? And she said, yeah, you know how he came out for that movie Dingo? Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know Yeah, yeah. So um, he was here for, for the film uh, Dingo, which has Colin Friels in it.
0: Looking at all these, surveying them from now
1: the top... <laughs> So one of the things that I really had to do was um, pick out the songs and artists that I didn't necessarily feel burned by. Yep. Um, because, you know, you can really overdose on a, on a particular song or band or genre and, and, you know, really start to become kind of a little bit contemptuous of it. And certainly that, that happened to me. Um, <clears throat> Which is actually pretty sad, um, you know, but I think that's, that's the problem with, with doing something for money that starts out as something fun and then it actually just stops being fun at some point. So, yeah, I think, I think that's the thing. Like what it, what it actually represents for me is a happy resolution to that tension you know, nobody else is actually going to see that. I mean, that's that's incredibly personal and probably certainly not what I was expecting out of having to pick these five songs because, you know, you're really sort of having to go. There's
0: a bit of that. There's a lot of analysis going on.
1: Yeah, and just thinking, oh, what's, what is my relationship with music? Yeah. You know, what is it, is it about what songs represent? Is it about just having a really good time? What, you know? what is it
0: yeah it's probably all of those things yeah
1: and and you know it's sort of impossible to separate yourself from it because you know it's everywhere and it should be everywhere Totally. Should, yeah.
0: yeah great thanks for sharing man and remember carl's spotify playlist is in the episode notes of the show <laughs> If you're enjoying the podcast, or even if you're not, please subscribe and give us a good rating. That would be tremendous. This has been Songs in the Key of Life. Thanks for listening. What's the first album you bought?
1: True Colours, Split Ends. That's a good... It's classy, That's, classic, that's huh? really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what are the tracks
0: on that? Because I love Split Ends.
1: Yeah, well, that's got I Got You on it, yeah. which is principally why I bought it. Yeah. It, um, and but it's got some, it's got some of that really
0: weird. Has it got icy red as well?
1: No. Oh, okay. But it's got, um, it's got some, some of that really weird Tim Finn avant garde stuff. Great. You know, like the, yeah. Um,
0: he was yeah. the more avant garde of the Finns yeah.
1: So there's this song on there called Shark Attack, which is absolutely bonkers. Like, it is insane. And right. just, and, and I remember, like, um, watching an interview with them um, talking about what they were doing in New Zealand. So I think there were seven of them on stage, and they'd be all dressed up and they'd have the makeup on, and okay. they'd be like, you know, they'd be pretty, like, out there and avant garde. And yeah. then they got to Australia, to Melbourne, where it's like, you know, I mean, or, you know, they're in Sydney, where. Chisels were massive. Yeah. Or they were here where I don't know what was happening here at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Angels. Yeah. And um pub rock. Yeah, just basically pub rock with, you know, um singlets and minimal and stripped back and stubbies. Yeah, and not showing off. And then yeah. these guys turn up in like matching outfits with makeup and they were just like. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>